Hey, welcome back. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you, Lord, for all the ways that you bless us. I ask, God, that you give us encouragement today. I pray especially, Lord, for those who are sick, for those who are seriously ill, who have had um, unexpected diagnoses uh, that are uh, associated with serious illnesses. Lord, I pray for them in a special way that you'd be close to them with your presence, with your power, with the anointing of your healing, Lord. Please, Jesus, please, Lord Jesus, be the divine physician in their regard. Lord, we know that you have a loving care for all of us who turn to you. And so we do turn to you, Lord, and we ask on their behalf, we pray in their place, and we ask for their sake, Lord, and for the sake of their loved ones, that you would truly come near to them, lay your hand upon them, and minister to them in your divine power. Lord, unbind them and set them free from this illness. We bind up and cast away that illness, Jesus. And we make this prayer in your holy name. Amen. Amen. And with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I prayed for them, Carrie, because there are a couple people who reached out to me in the last week who said, Tom, unexpected serious illness has hit this dear one in my life. Would you please keep them in prayer? And so it's one of those intentions, you know, like when we get together for the rosary at night, and I said, we'd pray for the, all those who have asked us to pray for them. Uh, that's probably, that's when you're kind of giving me the signal to move it along. Okay. That was just last <laughs> night because we were praying at 10 o'clock at night and I was so tired. So yeah. I did have a good reason to say, let's move this along. We're not, this is not like a prayer hour. Yeah. You didn't have to say that. You just had to give me a like, little hand signal and, uh, <laughs> which was good. Uh, that, that's how long we've been married, dear. We can just, a hand signal or even just a look, uh, a look of the eyes communicates so much. The Lord has to redeem my prayer time with the family. The Lord he doesn't has- have to do anything, actually. I just need to surrender it to him and bring it to him and seek, knock, find. Ask. Ask. There you go. Ask, seek, knock. That's it. Yep. That's my uh, scripture for my birthday. Yeah, that was the gospel for your birthday. And uh, it was beautiful. I am I am so glad that you, like uh, among the traditions we do during our birthday, birthdays is we go to mass as a family. And um, the only time it was going to work was in the evening. And you went out and found a mass. Good for you. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Well, oh. actually, we could have gone at 6 a.m., but... I yeah. proposed... No, it was 7. <laughs> there was a 7 a.m. mass, and, and you people completely rejected Absolutely that. Absolutely Well, not. because we have another birthday tradition, which is uh, celebrate breakfast together. And this was particularly sweet for me, a sweet day for me, because we treated it as a feast day. Oh, yeah. So, yes, yes. Carrie, I had a cup of coffee. Yes, yes. I had a cup of coffee. It wasn't very good. Well, you When you mix those two coffees together, I don't know what you were thinking. It's but... a sacrifice. So every morning I have coffee, it's actually a sacrifice. Wow. See how that works? Man. Now, you just lost all the merit because <laughs> you just told everybody about it. But well, I'm going to add some other things to it to make well, it Well, you were trying to mix in. What kind of coffee did you mix in? Uh, we got a... Pecan. Pecan or some kind of flavored coffee. Coffee beans. And I couldn't throw them out, so I just added like a cup. It was a tithe. You tithed uh, one-tenth of the nice, beautiful coffee Ah. we got from Costco gets mixed in with that flavored coffee. So every time I open up the bin in the morning to make it for you, I smell it. I smell that pecan. Pecan. Yeah. And I would have said pecan. Okay. Pecan. The pecan pecan smell. And I'm like, wow, this is... I, I, it actually probably helps me not miss coffee as much. Good. I was trying to do that too. Many Thank things you. I'm accomplishing. Honey, you are yes. such a gift. You are <laughs> such a gift. Thank you for that. My tea thanks mm. you. My Lenten journey. How's your, Lent, how's your Lent going, Carrie? Good. It's going really good. I'm really liking it. Really well. It's going my really kids, well. Now, my kids are now correcting me. Uh, you could correct me all it day, is every day. So, I, I love their education okay. they're getting. They're, they've learned grammar well enough that they don't mix up good and well very often. Yes. So, But it's going well, yes? Yes. I'm reading this uh, book. It's really good. Habits for Holiness by Father Mark Mary. He's a CFR. CFR, do you know what that stands for? Yeah, the Capuchin Friars of the Renewal. Ooh, flex. Let's go. I didn't know it was Capuchin. Let's go. No well, I know one of the founders. Okay. Father you, Benedict Rochelle. You, know, you knew him? Yeah. I didn't know that. How did you know him? So he was um, uh, dear friends with Father Mark Montmany. Oh. 
Yeah, so when I left the seminary, I went to work for Father Mark up at St. Marie's in Manchester, New Hampshire. One of Father Mark's um, like sort of key men, he had a, a group of laymen that you know would were very involved in in church there. Um, was the uh, nephew of uh, Father Benedict Rochelle. So that gave us an in to get Father Rochelle to come up to the parish and be part of a conference and speak at it and have him come up to and then uh, go down and visit him. So that's how I got to know Father Rochelle. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, don't you remember? We spoke at a conference together in Virginia, he and I. Uh, yeah, I remember. 20 years ago, 25 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. <laughs> You can rewrite some of my history. I would not know. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so yeah, so he was in the like I don't. He wasn't the founder. Like he wasn't the first one in charge. But I'm pretty sure he was one of the co-founders of the of the renewal uh, of the CFRs. Yes, I think you told me a story about when Mother Teresa met him, and she was encouraging him to do a holy hour every day. Do you remember that story you you tell about? the guy that was telling her to do a holy hour every day. No, no I can make it up, though. Oh, yeah. So, so she so says, then... Father, you must make sure that your brothers make a holy hour. And he said to her, Mother, I don't think we can do that. There's too much work to be done. Mother Teresa, totally serious and without skipping a beat, said, Well, then, Father, make it two hours. Do you remember that story? No. Oh, well, it's in the book. Um, That's Habits a great of Holiness. Book. Yeah, this is a great little book. Well, that, there's a story about Father Michael Scanlon. In this book? No, no, no. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that part. No, that's like that. He, oh, uh, maybe she was... told all the priests they may need to make two hours of... No, this was a, it was a story about, I don't know if it was a faculty member or a student that was giving a talk um, later in life, right? And he saw Father Mike going across the campus early in the morning and asked him, Father, what are you doing up so early, you know, going to, to pray? And... And it was, well, I've gotten so busy, I've had to add an hour to my prayer. Wonderful. So, which is, you know, what a, again, what a counter-cultural, sort of unexpected way of thinking about prayer as it relates to a busy life. The busier your life, the more you have to be praying. Uh, and rather than what the normal life is, the busier you get, you're crowding out prayer. You're replacing prayer. You're not praying. And that typically doesn't go very well. It doesn't lead to the, the positive fruits that we would want in our lives of faith, for sure. So, Carrie, I, I mentioned that um, it, it was it's your birthday on the day that we're recording this, and um, there was a particular uh, theme, and that theme is affirmation, uh, and that's a custom that we do uh, on birthdays. And uh, I, want to, I want to explore that with you because it seems to have bubbled up in several different places uh, in, in just the last week. Yeah, this book I'm reading uh, by Father Mark Mary, he has a chapter on family, the power of relationships, and some of his other chapters are prayer, the Catholic culture and liturgical living, simplicity, love for the poor. But the book is very practical, but also insightful and there's a simplicity to it that I, as I read it, I can take in so much of it. I could read it in two days easily, but at the same time, as I'm reading through some of his practical um, ways to live out your your faith, it makes me want to ponder and think through, okay, how would that work and how would that look in our family setting? The other thing about his book, I just want to say, is it also has a sense of spiritual guidance, like if you want spiritual direction and you're trying to go deeper into prayer or into how do you live, have habits during the day, <laughs> um, there's something about the book and what he recommends that allows you to just settle into that in a more intentional way, which is not burdensome. The way he presents the insights and the truths are very beautiful and encouraging. I think you said the key word there at the end, insight. Right, A lot of books can just throw a jumble of information at you, and it can make you dizzy. And it maybe sounds good, but it doesn't really have an impact. But when you have someone that can write with clarity, concision, and also with a sense of depth, then it has the ability to draw you in. Okay. And so that's a real gift. It, it, it speaks to his own depth of spirit. And it um, also shows that he has a gift of being able to make that 
like simple and clean and clear so that others can access it as well. That's sort of like a Father Jacques Philippe gift. Yes, yes. Uh, and so in the book, he's talking about the the family and how it helped you grow in uh, power of your relationships, communion. And he really shares about the brotherhood that he's in. And so he recommends that you have a meal as a family. Now, that sounds kind of one-dimensional, not a big deal. But the way he describes it and the benefits you get from it and the the power of it, I don't know. It's just not a typical way of describing it because I've read several books on like Sabbath and having mealtime. But the way he does it, it's, it's very, it's encouraging and freeing. It doesn't feel like a burden, like I said. Anyhow, the other thing he said is um, affirmation. And so he says... Uh, this is what it says, actually, within the friar, we we don't particularly celebrate birthdays, but we each have a feast day that we celebrate. (laughs) That's not funny. It's a long established custom to honor a brother on his feast day when all we're all together, we go around and each of us honors the brother for some time, some virtue, thanks him for his friendship or acknowledges another way in which he has enriched us by his presence. It's a beautiful way as a family to very intentionally have a time where we speak truth into the lives of other people. The fact that we're all doing it and that it's organized helps with some of the fear of the intimacy if we're not accustomed to it. But it also can be a place of tremendous healing, especially for tensions or frustrations. If I'm the one being honored, it's a way for me to hear that each of the others really does love me, care for me, and sees something good in me. It's an incredibly healing practice. So again, just insight, practical, um, but also makes you want to implement it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, the CFRs are have some connection with uh, the charismatic renewal. Now, they're not a charismatic order, okay. but they had, do have a connection with the renewal. And I think it came out of covenant communities. So covenant communities are when families come and they, they make a covenant, they make a, an agreement to live in relationship together. And now that, that might mean they live near each other, but it means that they're going to commit to walk together in faith in very intentional commitments, getting together a couple times a month, men get together, women get together, couples get together, blah, blah, blah. Well, one of the practices that grew up in those communities, and in particular in men's and women's households for single men and women to live intentionally their lives of faith was affirmation. And I experienced that, guess what, back at St. Marie's with Father Mark Montmany when I was living in a men's household with my brother, George, and several other guys. And what would we do? We would do affirmations on birthdays. And so, or we would do it, frankly, we would um, do them once a um, commitment like a commitment was three months or four months or five months. So we would take a time to go around and and here's how I ended up defining it eventually was that when you're affirming someone, you're affirming them because for the ways that you see them as a gift from God, you see the gifts they have from God, or you see the way that God's gifts in them have shined forth and had an impact. So you're saying, I appreciate the gift you are, I am affirming you for the gifts you have, and I'm acknowledging the contribution and the blessing that you as a gift and the gifts that you have are showing up in this world. And so that is very intentional, brothers and sisters. If you hear my voice, if you can learn that in married life and in family life, you're going to be a huge source of blessing in the, in the in the home, in families. Well, I don't know if that's too strongly stated, Carrie, but I, I really believe that so much. I like that he says it's healing, and I never thought of it in that light, but I do appreciate it, and I do know it's powerful. And I think we struggle enough with correcting and irritating each other and being annoyed and wanting to fix or uh, Let challenge. Me, uh, here's how Go I'll ahead. say it. It's, um, it's criticism. Okay. Right. If people, if they first only or most prominently hear critique, then they're going to conclude, you do not see me as a gift. You do not see me as having gifts. You only see me falling short. 
you only are bringing out the way that I'm a burden or there's something dark about me or something harmful or, or, or broken about me. And you're not acknowledging the contribution I've made. So criticism, when it is devoid of affirmation, becomes destructive rather than constructive. Yeah, and I think just being together, you kind of rub up against each other and be annoyed, you're just annoyed with each other. It's not, it doesn't always have to be criticism. And so being able to just take that relationship and speak truth is what he said in, in what we say. You speak truth about the person and the gift they are. It really can soften the walls, soften the heart, and bring a better, deeper sense of union. What's interesting is he brings it up and he uses a couple of um, words and in, 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 uh, in uh, dynamics. He's like, you're expressing that you, lo- wow, he loves me. And he said that that's kind of difficult if if you're just going to do it one-on-one. But if it's done in the group and everyone's doing it, then the intimacy, there's the other word, gets a bit diminished. Absorbed, yes. Absorbed. I can see that. So Carrie, when we do affirmations for whoever's birthday it is, like tonight we're doing it for you, um, what's one of the things that we want from our kids as they're affirming their sibling? Look them in the eyes. Look them in the eyes. And that's hard because of that same sense of intimacy. It's not the typical thing that you look at someone in the eyes. There's something deep that goes on with that. I know there's something deep going on right now, but we need to take a break. When we come back, more Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran's Faith and Family Friday edition on this first Friday in Lent. It's a beautiful day, not only to be abstaining from meat, but fasting, as well as making an extra effort to go to Mass on a first Friday. Maybe you want to start the uh, promises of making nine first Fridays. Uh, d- that's dedicated to the most sacred heart of Jesus, particularly honoring his passion and the way in which the passion is a manifestation of the open and most sacred heart of Jesus open to us, even though we have opened his heart through our sins and he has undergone his passion for us because of his passionate love for us. Carrie, we're talking about Um, The power of affirmation, the power of being able to speak words that build up, that bring life, that bring healing, that can open up a whole new vista and horizon in a relationship when you can speak words of life, where you name the other person, the one you're talking to, as a gift. You name the gifts that they have, and you acknowledge the way that that person who is a gift and the gifts they have make a difference in, in your life or in the world around you. Carrie, you're talking about uh, Habits for Holiness, written by Father Mark Mary, uh, of the uh, CFRs, the Capuchin Friars of the Renewal. And um, let's pick up where we left off. Uh, something interesting, on the way home today, we Mary Grace was on our car speaker, and we were talking- Our oldest daughter called to wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> I'm giving context, Carrie. People are like, what? why is why is your daughter on the car speaker? Uh, I don't know. She just lives there. <laughs> and uh, she said, oh, how's your birthday? What are you doing for it? And I said, oh, tonight we're going to gather, but I would like, I've asked all the kids to pray for a word from the Lord for me, or a scripture that they think would encourage me, or um, just, I I wanted to do something other than affirmations. And then she said, oh yeah, I think we should move away from affirmations. We've done that for so long. We need to change it up. And do you remember what she said we should do in place of that? No. No. Oh, that's right. You were texting. I was. I was. I was distracted. <laughs> texting daughter. our number two daughter. <laughs> oh, darn! Because I was hoping you remember what she said. <laughs> uh, there's like three conversations going on in the car at that time. But um, I think she said uh, something about in the group uh, instead of affirming one person, 
you like pick each other's names and it's so I think it dissipates that intimacy and something you can do like weekly or monthly maybe is where you somehow pick someone's name or you gather in a circle and do some kind of other well, we did this before with her yeah, it was. Um, I don't remember. I wish yeah. I would have was listening better. But the no, thing is, she. I think she did it on the World Race, or I think her living with a bunch of women. It's something that they're trying to incorporate. And I know Mary Catherine, our daughter, got so happy. She got accepted into her household, which we were all praying for her. And it's. Uh, is it? What does that mean? What What does that household mean? Stella Maria, or is it Maria Stella? Stella Marie. No. Oh. TTM, Carrie. Totus tus Maria. You don't even know no, that. No, it's why does she always say Stella? No, Stella's the other one. Stella Maris is Star Mari. of the Sea. Oh, that's not the one she's in. No, she got into TTM. Oh she got into the, I don't even know. What is wrong core. with me? She got Ugh. into the hardcore Blessed Mother one. Let's go. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, it's <laughs> so... a sign of our consecration that we consecrated our lives to the Blessed Mother and to the Holy Family when we were engaged, uh, our lives to the oh. Blessed Mother. And that's the household she got in. She's really been growing in her faith. I'm really excited for her. It's so beautiful to see what's so neat about social media and being connected on the text, uh, family texting, is you get to connect with everyone and everyone gets to connect with everyone. And the three youngest in our family don't have any way to text anybody. So they always take my phone and want to read the threads because they'll come home and typically 10 to 20 texts or sometimes as many as 50 texts have gone through and so they'll want to go back and read everything and catch up, which is really I never sweet. Knew that. Oh yes, they're always grabbing my phone and reading through it. Or we're in the car; one of them will read everything to everyone, everyone else, so they can all catch up. But so that's a sweet thing about um, media today. But in, in the text well, thread, she's just been very faith-filled and encouraging, and asking for prayer and sharing with us what she's doing for prayer. And then just this whole journey of her getting accepted into the household was. Um, very, she was very nervous and concerned and worried, and just all the drama around it was was fun to hear, be a part of. It, I, I am so thrilled. I do really believe it. I, I acknowledge it as an answered prayer, because a household is going to provide support, encouragement, and accountability through the commitments they make. They're going to support each other, encourage each other, and hold each other accountable to high spiritual ideals while they're together at Franciscan University. Now, what a gift to be able to have that at the Catholic college where your kids are. That household reality, right? That was what I was living in a household. Yes. It was different than what happens in the context of a, a school, but so many of the, the, the threads of it being able to be integrated there is really very powerful. Yeah, and I didn't know this, but they got rid of all the Greek system. Oh, they did? When I was there, they still had them. But I don't, I don't know at what point they did. It was probably a good thing. The thing that I find so interesting about this book, Habits of Holiness, is he's really re- referencing his brothers and communion and community. And I, for some reason, never saw our family life in direct relationship to household life or uh, brotherhood. Because your mom and dad, and you're doing life differently. And not, you know, not all of our kids necessarily have chosen <laughs> to be a part of our family. Or I've chosen to like, I'm going to walk out my faith in a very intentional way. And so I need you, mom and dad and sisters and brothers, to keep me accountable or to to pray with me or to, you know. But the what's been really neat is now that those three old, was four out of the house, but um, three of the girls are all doing kind of missionary faith-filled um, seasons in their life. And how they're sharing about that has just changed the dynamic of the other kids. And I think it's really impacted prayer. In family prayer, and um, something that thought that this book says is things to do as a family. He says, "I'd like to get into some practical details about how to live in communion. First, we all need to make sure that we are always being made formable by the fire of the Father's love. We have to keep praying. Community life will kill us if it is divorced from a real, lived relationship with the Lord. It will kill us if we are we're not." able to see God's hand and God's work in the midst of the details and circumstances of our lives. And again, just the way he says that is insightful and simple, but it makes you think, okay, well, how do I do that with my family? How do we have this keep praying, but what does that look like? Yeah, I, I mean, how often do I have to say it? The number one question I get asked is, how do I pray? You know, I'm told so often from in homilies and in books 
I'm supposed to pray, but what do I actually do? How do I actually take time to pray? And so that's why, I don't know, in the course of a year in, in on my radio program and on these podcasts, I'll get into like the details of how do you make a morning offering? How do you have quiet time? How do you have time to read the scriptures? What about using the liturgy of the hours? How do you pray through mass? What about praying a rosary, right? So it's it's not just the perfunctory action of doing those prayers. It's entering into the living relationship with Jesus. In fact, just first program of this week, Tuesday, I was begging listeners, just open your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. He wants to come close to you. This Lent is about removing the obstacles because he's knocking on the door of your life. Believe it. Jesus is here. He's close to you. He's knocking. Open your heart to Jesus. Let him in. Let him pour his life. Let him pour his love. Let him pour into you and draw close to him. Right? So, and then I would actually pray. You don't know what even what to do. That doesn't sound strange. Look, just follow after my, lean on my prayer. Jump on my back. I'm going to say a prayer right now. And then I would say a prayer that would be in their place for their sake, in their, you know, in their name, so that they would actually be able to lean into the prayer. That's awesome. That's kind of like how I used to write my papers in college. Okay, is this confession? <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't college. Lean. It was graduate school. <laughs> it's graduate school. I would definitely jump on your back. The <laughs> other um, thing about the book is, so when, when he talks about communion, and this is something that I think people are craving, they're desiring to be close, to have friendship, and to have some level of um, intimacy or to be known, to be loved, right? That's just a human desire. And so he goes into the physics of, of the earth and matter. And, but he, as, at the same time you're wanting to be close, you also, um, I'll just read what he says. It's part of the God-given desire for heaven. We were made for communion with one another in communion with God. We desire friendship. We desire intimacy. At the same time, and this is what I always say to you, Tom, we all struggle with one another. We are inclined toward isolation and selfishness and away from neighbor and God. We experience concupiscence, a tendency toward sin and isolation, which we can see as the inertia of the spiritual big bang of original sin. And he says it's important to identify these two consistent but contrary movements at the beginning. Why? Because we are universal and because the choice for communion will always be a choice. That's the reality of our human experience. So, and he describes it as going upstream. And I think, you know, as we try to build communion here, and not just within our home, but within all the families that are moving here and have moved here, there's a way in which it is a choice. And I, I feel like some part of me thinks it'll just happen, but it actually has to be intentional, Holy Spirit-led for sure. Yeah. And I'm going to use a different word than choice. It's being determined. Okay, that's I, I like that. That's even better. Yeah, you you have to have you have to be determined to pursue something, and and that's part of the act of the will. Part of the act of the will is to say, I see the good that I'm called to pursue. Now I'm determined. I've made a determinatio to pursue it. Yes, I'm, I'm going to go after that. It does it requires it's a work. Decision. It it requires an yeah. incredible effort, even when things are going against. And I think that's where the Holy Spirit and being led in faith, because there are going to be uh, things coming against that. Yeah. Well, what's the nature of love? Love is so, is donatio, which is forging your life into a gift, right? Giving yourself away as a gift. Forging. Yeah. Yourself. Forge your life into a gift. That's a good and, word. And that's a that's not an easy thing because it's dying to self. We yeah. don't want to do that, right? But it's, it's in your nature, right? So he's saying it's in your nature. Why? You're a gift from God. You are a gift from God. You've been created out of nothing. You've been created in this unique and intimate personal way to, ref, uh, to reflect Jesus. Okay, good. so there's that sense of the irreplaceable gift that you are. Well, guess what you're called to do? Be a gift. You're called to be who you are. Be a gift. A gift means what? It's that which was made to be given away. So the gift that I am, I'm called to communion. The gift that I'm called to be is pouring oneself out. So identity, mission. There you go. Your identity is communion. Your purpose is to pour yourself out. Self-sacrificing love. Self-giving love is self-sacrificing love. That hurts. It's suffering. It's crucifying as well. Oh, that's it even is. a better word. You keep you keep upping my words. Well, 
It's it just I'm <laughs> speaking the gospel. I'm speaking John Paul II stuff out loud, and it's um and what does that run counter to? Concupiscence. Concupiscence is what? It's bent, right? So one way of talking about concupiscence is that it bends the desire to pour oneself out towards the other to looking at the other as one that I can consume for my own benefit, the one that I can draw into my orbit and have me remain at the center. Did you guys know it's my birthday today? <laughs> oh, sorry. Let's come back around to that. Harry, Should we draw Harry, everyone my... back to me? This... Oh, that's funny. Oh, I was doing a Tom joke. I didn't even get oh, it. How could you I not? Did... You're so... Oh, my goodness. That is so funny. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, more sound insight. Carrie, that was good. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern along with my lovely wife, Carrie. We're recording this on your birthday. Happy birthday. Whatever you want, dear. The answer is yes. (laughs) Yes, dear. That's Uh, That's every day. Oh, yeah. oh yes, wow. It's true, though. Every day is Carrie's day. Okay. <laughs> so uh, today in the program, we are talking about, uh, we started about affirmation, and then we've led into this idea that um, you're affirming the fact that you're a gift, but you're also called to be a gift. And that means pour yourself out, even against those things that will uh, make us um, hold back and make us want to live for ourselves. Carrie, there is an amazing book that we are reading in our um, Cigarette Radio Book Club. Uh, it's gonna you're gonna hear it on Monday. Part one you'll hear on Monday. The book is called God's Battalions. Oh, so we're gonna jump your program and I hijack am. it. I'm hijacking. Uh, I like this. Well, here's the thing. Uh, we're, we're so it's two parts, and the first part's covering 160 pages, and we didn't get through 160 pages. Did you get through five? Did you get through ten? We will. We peanut butter spread across 160 pages, but there were so many insights, so many powerful things that. This book gets into. It, it, has he written other books? Yeah, yes, he he's written like I don't know, fifteen or eighteen Have other books. Have you read his? Other no, books? I haven't. Oh, is he Catholic or no, Christian? N- almost no. neither. Oh, he's barely Christian at all. He called himself uh, an call him an agnostic, an independent Christian. He's like Jordan. He Peterson. said he doesn't have religious faith, but he's a PhD sociologist. Oh, and his his principal area of study is Catholicism. And so this is the case for the Crusades. So he undoes, he unwinds so many prejudices and mistaken notions around the Catholic Church and the Crusades. And so tune in on Monday for that program with Father Nagel and Father Lewis. It's really, it's a really good program. We've already recorded it. We recorded it on Thursday uh, earlier today. And so uh, it's a great program. Okay, so in the Crusades... Um, what happens? Okay, so it's the 11th century, and Pope Urban II is trying to convince Catholics in uh, Western Europe to make these huge sacrifices and go east all the way to Jerusalem, which has fallen under Muslim control. And Muslims are uh, are committing atrocities against uh, the the Catholics and other Christians that are there. So this undertaking is, well, let me just actually read this simple summary here uh, in this book, God's Battalions, which but I'll give you a little heads up. All three of us think it's an amazing book. Okay. Okay. It was one thing for Pope Urban II to conclude that Europe should rally in support of Eastern Christianity in the liberation of the Holy Land. But how was he able to bring it about? How were tens of thousands of people convinced to commit their lives and fortunes to such a challenge. Think about that. Now, these people, their lives are essentially disrupted, right? Yes. And many of the people who chose to go are the wealthy nobles Yikes. and those who are knights, who have who are part of the upper classes. So these are landowners, wealthy people, aristocrats, people in power, people who are educated, informed. They've got they've got they've got it the best of anybody that's got it. In, in the world at this time. And they're willing to sacrifice all of that. What? How do you convince them to commit their lives and fortunes to such a challenge? Many of them, especially those recruited by Peter the Hermit, may have been unaware of what really lay ahead. But the great nobles and knights were neither foolish nor naive. They knew how much the journey itself, 
Uh, they knew much about the journey itself. Some had already been to the Holy Land on a pilgrimage, and all of them had close relatives and associates who had been there. So they knew they faced a very long and perilous journey, at the end of which there would be many bloody battles against a dangerous and determined fo a foe. They were also fully aware that there was no pot of gold awaiting them in the sands of Palestine. So, how were they recruited? Not a great opening paragraph. Yes. So how were they recruited? And um, he goes in and talks about the Pope unleashing a thousand preachers across Europe to preach the Crusades and the importance of rescuing the, uh, the Christians in the Holy Land and all of that. But here's, here's a very important section that he brings up, and he's quoting another historian, Jonathan Riley Smith, um, who says this. He says, Riley Smith's most important insight was thrust upon him by the data, the data of studying who actually went on the Crusades, what they had to do to fund themselves on the Crusade, like to be able to go, how much money they had to raise and, and, and spend to be able to make it to Jerusalem, to be able to fight and probably die. He said, Crusading was dominated by a few closely related families. It appears that it was not so much that individuals decided to accept the Pope's summons, but that families did so. Unbeknownst to Riley Smith, this is entirely consistent with a very large social scientific literature on recruitment to social movements, be they political campaigns or new religions. People become active in social movements in response to the fact that many of their friends, relatives, or other close associates already have done so. Put another way, collective social activities are not the summation of a number of independent choices made by individuals. Rather, they are the product of social networks. So, for example, reconstruction of the initial set of converts to new religions, from Buddhism to Mormonism, shows those religions to have begun, begun as family affairs. And so it was with crusading. Wow, it's really powerful. Well, and look how relevant it is. Carrie, I, I just think about... Oh, like today's crusade? <laughs> What's well, your crusade, Tom? Remember now, what are we talking about? We're talking about these people who have experienced their life as a gift coming from God. They experience the gift quality of the life they have and the gifts they've been given. And now they're being called upon to extend themselves, to disrupt the comfortable life that leaves them in place, to disrupt the, the life that they've just fashioned for themselves, and to take on a concern that is completely distant from them, literally a thousand miles away. It would never touch their lives. And yet they have this sense of, I must do this. And what gives them the grace and strength to sacrificially uproot, literally uproot, and move themselves a thousand miles and face bloody battles along the way where it's something like 80% of them died. Wow. 80% of them died. That's amazing. Never returned back. And they gave up fortunes, fortunes, family, legacies, all of this. And they weren't going to, like you said, conquer a land and get riches. It wasn't about riches, despite what the prejudices say, despite what the, the, the false narratives say. No, this is about them hearing a call from God because of what was at stake. What was at stake was the Holy Land were holy places where Jesus walked, were, were places where their Christian brothers and sisters were being slaughtered, and they could not comfortably remain in their own places. They had to run headlong into what was a slaughter for the sake of their brothers. Now, I think about this, and I think about the decisions that so many folks we've made. And a little hint, Father Nagel actually gets into this a little bit on Monday, so I won't go into a lot of it, but when I look at the families, literally now hundreds of families that have moved in the Coeur d'Alene to Spokane Corridor, they have similarly uprooted themselves at great personal cost, giving up uh, the comfort of, of wealthy uh, positions all for the sake of trying to rescue and recover a good that was at stake of being lost. And it was the good of family. 
It was the good of the communion of persons. It was the good of the faith of their family in order to rescue. Now, the ones that they were trying to rescue weren't a thousand miles away. It was in their own homes. It was in their own neighborhoods. It was uh, those that they loved and cared about. And you think about it and you say, who's actually done it? Is it a random set of individuals here and there? Or is it what, what he says? It's this network. People become active in social movements in response to the fact that many of their friends, relatives, or other close associates have already done so. And what have we heard when we're talking to so many of our friends these days? Oh, someone else is coming. Oh, my, you know, my sister's coming now. Oh, my kids are coming now. Oh, another, another one of my kids are coming. Oh, my parents are moving here. It is, it, it's becoming, um, I don't want to say a black hole, right? <laughs> because of the magnet. <laughs> it's becoming a sun. It's, it's, sun. It's, it's, be, it, it's, it's a beaconing light that is drawing more and more families in the network, right? In those sense of close associations. That is really something. And, and then to know that that's happening all over the country in different ways, in different Catholic circles or Christian circles. Right, right. This isn't the only place where that's happening. There are, are many places like this where that's occurring. Well, anyways, Carrie, that's, um, that, that's that book. And, and, and it draws attention to the fact that who your kids are hanging around with, who your family is hanging around with, really matters. Because it's going to create a sense of strength of movement or uh, mixed movements, right? You talk about the the book on habit, uh, it's called Habit of Holiness. Habits for Holiness. Habits for Holiness. Um, that idea that there's, there's a battle, there's a pull, there's mutual pulls. And you want the pulls to be nurtured inside yourself, your family, your kids, inside the family things that you're doing that are going to pull you towards God versus things that will pull you in other directions. And it's not even that the other directions are going to necessarily be sinful. They, they certainly could be if you get a bunch of teenagers together. But <laughs> even just think about, like, for instance, well, how many times have we brought up families connected to sports? Yes. Right? That's a pull. And a family can get behind a sports activity to such an extent that it's going to pull them away in conflict now with the density of that sense of our families are getting together with other families of faith that are going to lead us to God. So I would just love a strong evangelist preacher to come along and champion families to go all in for the Lord, just to go on mission, to put it I all there. I think you need a to family sacrifice. to do it, Carrie. I, I don't even know if it's a preacher. I think it's almost well, a, more... A, a father, or a mother, a, a, a couple. Yes, just to yeah. say, this is what we're doing. This is what we're going to take back family life. We're going to take back... Uh, Time together, holiness, goodness, uh, just radiate joy. What are you waiting for? No, it's not Michael. I know that. But it, it's it's so for me. You know how much I love families. You know how something about the whole gift of family is something I'm passionate about. And so when I'm reading, you know, what you just read from that book correlates to this whole sense of being on mission as a family and living in community and growing. In, well, his book's all about growing in the brotherhood call of growing in holiness, but how it overlaps into our own family life. And what if, like, there's nothing more I would want to work towards or put my time and effort into than building a family legacy here on earth that's going to go into heaven for all eternity, really. Um, I think that's mostly what I'd like to spend my time doing. Amen. I, sign me up, dear. All right. I love your point. We're going to pick up on it when we come back from our break. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran, along with my lovely wife, Carrie. Happy birthday, dear. Does everybody know it's her birthday? Yeah. Okay. I think everybody knows her birthday. All right. So, Carrie, uh, you were mentioning about the power of family you know, something that moves me is how much our boys love each other and not just love each other, but like each other. And I think that's just, it's a gift from God, right? I think it's a gift of temperament, personality and all that. Maybe it's just because they're outnumbered two to seven. Amen. <laughs> and they're right next to each other. But uh, it it's a gift that I shouldn't take for granted because I, I know um, a lot of families will have kids 
same gender near an age, but their personalities and things they're attracted to are so very different that they don't naturally spend time together. You talked about, you know, the power of family, and I think it's a combination of nurture, what you're talking about, but also nature, that certain kids are going to be more naturally drawn to each other. I think it's funny because we have three of our four oldest girls coming back to the house this summer. And I've seen, you talk about the group chat, like all this texting going back and forth about roommates and who's going to have what room and back and forth. And and it opened up. I overheard, they talk to you about this more than they talk about it with me. Oh, I get along better with so-and-so than I do with so-and-so. And that's some of that's personality. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyways, Carrie, when I think about us and tonight, um, we're after we have our dinner with that, which our kids are making and have gently interrupted us a couple of times in this program. <laughs> uh, I, I'm excited to see the the word of the Lord, right? Mm. When you were saying you want the kids to to pray about a word from mm. the Lord. Um, I think that's beautiful because it's like you, you're giving God entry points into the family uh, through our kids. And yes. that's a powerful idea that we, God will speak to us through our kids. I really have a, a grace this Lent of seeking after him. And I've noticed it in other people. There is a sense uh, uh, of awakening of God, where are you? Not where are you, but going after his presence or his truth, his word, trying to um, be encouraged by being in I don't know, in relationship with him in a deeper way. Well, and I love one of the things he's been teaching you and speaking to you. Amen. Which was, what is it? <laughs> Remind me. God is telling telling me to love you better. Oh, yes. Remember All husbands that? love hearing nice. that. Nice. And let Come me on, show guys. you how to love you better. Guys. Even this more. Is, I know. I, I, I've got a list. <laughs> I've got a menu. Uh, ask, seek, Ask, knock, seek, knock, baby. On, just Let's ask go. The Lord. Um, no, but it's... It, that, you know how meaningful that is to me when a couple of times you've said to me, the, the Lord is um, like, I've been asking the Lord to show me how to love you better or um, how to love you more or something like that. Has it worked? Have you noticed? Yes. Oh, good, good. Okay. I have. I, I don't know. I see God breaking stuff open in you in really lovely ways. <sighs> so exciting. But just saying that there is this uh, a refreshing, um, beautiful going after God's spirit that I'm sensing in the air. And I've seen it, and so I've go to a couple different prayer meetings and um, our family group chat and some of the stuff that God's doing over in the Seattle side. And it's just really neat because there is this sense of, Lord, how much more can we take? How much more can our the young adults be ravished and lost and depleted? I know for <laughs> for my birthday, I wanted us to all go see, is it the Jesus... The Jesus movie called... It's called Jesus Revolution yeah. or something like that. And I was at a prayer meeting the other night, and several of the people there have moved up here from California, and they're like, we were part of that. We were at those events. That's We were the hippies. They're a little bit older than me. And um, they're super excited. Like, there is a excitement with what God is doing that I am sensing. I don't know what he's doing, but <laughs> just let's go. We're, we're waiting. <laughs> No, you want more of that determination thing going on. <laughs> the determination. On, right? Yes. Well, especially if if you're going to build a culture for... We're not just building for our, our kids. We're building for our grandkids and our great-grandkids. Right. It's not... I mean, we're getting old now. It's it's getting not... If we, <laughs> it's not just the here and now. I feel like 30 years from now. Right. What has God built or what is he allowed to have happen? No, that, that's a great perspective. And it's more than when you think ahead 30 years, I think most folks are thinking about how do I prepare for retirement and um, wanting to have a nest egg, wanting to make sure that I have enough to take care of and then also leave to my kids. That's not quite the same thing as saying, how do I create an environment, help build an environment, a culture of faith that's going to nurture the faith of my grandchildren? How many clients have you had? that you were helping sell houses where they were by themselves and their family had moved away and they didn't know what to do. And so they're now, okay, I guess we'll move back to this part of the country or down to this part of the country and we'll follow that one son or that one daughter. And 
I was like, well, where's their church community? Where's the, and there is none. They're just alone. And it just sounds, it just sounds so sad. I don't, you know, I don't want to get through life because we're so busy running after whatever. And then we've built nothing and we're left with, I don't know, just each other. <laughs> Stuck with each other. Thanks, dear. <laughs> Thank you, dear. Well, and, and stuff. And stuff. Right. And maybe even accolades. I accomplished this. I got to this level in my job. I... Sure, sure. Yeah, success in the eyes of the world, right? And you could dig into that. But you're talking about what endures, right? That that takes me back to self-knowledge and self-discipline, right? That book that you really grabbed onto and um, had such an impact. I see it around on the floor. So I don't know if you've pulled it back out again. I always am thumbing through different books. Well, and you remember that book, he, the, the author, the priest says that, um, what you should be investing in are the things that will endure in eternity. And he talks about virtue, yes. that your virtue will endure in eternity. So use your will to choose the good and to choose the good in accord with a certain virtue. And you'll be accomplishing a treasure that you can carry with you across the goal line of death. Is that what the book's about? How do you summarize these books so quickly? <laughs> I like read them and study them. And then you just come in and say, okay, it's about this, blah, blah, blah. And then it's crazy. Well, he has, I mean, he talks about the uh, the intellect and the will, and this is this is just part of it, part of the will in terms of using the will, right? Because what's the will? The will is the rational appetite. The will is where your mind is drawn to love some good. All right. And so the question is, am I loving something that is only apparently good, or is it truly good? And then if it's truly good, is it a good that is merely a natural good, a good that is of this earth, or is it a good that will endure beyond this earth, a supernatural good, an eternal good? And so the question becomes, are we cleansing our wills of our attachments, our love for things that are not good, things that are only apparently good, things that are good but are of this earth, and as much as possible, putting our will and having it be fixed on the greatest of all goods, God himself. That was my program on Tuesday. That is so good. No, Wednesday. That was Wednesday's program. Wow. So that's so good. Well, it's it's not that's not me. I mean, that's a, that's Augustine, that's Aquinas. It actually goes back to Aristotle. I know, and, you just say it so clearly and simply. It's like, seriously? Anyhow. <laughs> Anywho. So, in that book, um it, uh, it one of the great challenges of our Lent is what? Cleansing the will. Right, cleansing the will so that we're detached from our Egypts. How is your fasting going? How is your life? You know what? Going? Thanks be to God for your birthday. <laughs> it has been a huge blessing to have kind of a, a midweek break uh, Thursday. Hallelujah. Oh, I can't say that word. See, I almost stumbled. And so I, I know this is very kind of pharisaical of us, right? Um, we're not counting your birthday as a day of Lent. I mean, I still am, but just not to the same degree. I mean, you can see, I, I mean, I did have a cup of coffee in the morning. Yes, and a, so. a dessert. So, And I did have a dessert. Well, I had a little bit of the, the pastry at breakfast. Okay. I held back, though. I denied myself a lot, but I still had some. Okay. So, That's good. And I had bread at lunch, which I went, well, I, I shouldn't be talking more about what I'm But your lunch has been tough, and you've really enjoyed it. I see the, those cold showers. You're in and out like in <laughs> 10 seconds. It's like, are you sure you cleaned yourself? <laughs> You shouldn't like turn it on warm okay. and actually... TMI. Do you know what that means? <laughs> Too much information. <laughs> Too much information. Okay. That's so funny. All right. Okay, folks. I pray God's blessings on your day. We are up against the end of your program. We're going to go celebrate Carrie's birthday. Say a prayer for Carrie. That would be a beautiful gift if you said a prayer for her, for her growth in holiness, her growth as a wife, and her growth as a wife. Amen. And her growth as... as a wife. A wife. <laughs> for life. And mother. All right. God bless you all. Join me on Monday for God's Battalions, a wonderful book club. God bless. <laughs>